I love the feeling of pulling into one of those state-of-the-art, high-quality, automated car washes. The ones where I steer the wheels of my vehicle to align with the tracks that then pull me through the process. And then all the soaps kick in and the waxes and the power washes and the spray rinses. It's a comforting feeling knowing that the entire process has been thought through and my car is predestined to come out the other side transformed. Did you know that the Church of Jesus Christ is like an automated car wash for the human soul? I mean, we decide whether or not we're going to submit to the process. We choose whether or not we're going to align our lives to God's will. But once we do that, the Spirit of God begins to go to work on us and in us, using the circumstances of our lives to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the church in Rome. He said this, And we as Christ followers know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, the mission of Broadway Church, our mission statement is simple, to lead people toward Christ-centered living. And what that means is we come alongside people in their lives, wherever they are in life, and we do whatever it takes to help them take the next step towards living a Christ-centered life. Now, a year ago, we introduced a concept here at Broadway that we called Better You. Now, Better You is a play on words, meaning a better you, personally making you better, but also Better You, meaning Better University. Better You is a yearly series where we focus upon equipping Christ followers with practical life skills in a specific area of biblical concern. Last year, using the words of the Apostle Peter, we focused upon the inner qualities that a Christ follower should be cultivating. For this year's Better You series, we're using the words of James, and we're focusing upon what the Bible teaches regarding healthy communication within relationships. And this year, we're adding a new layer to our Better You experience. This year, we're leveraging and incorporating the unique gifts and skill sets of individuals within our congregation. So it's not just pastors. We're not only providing sermons during our Sunday gatherings during this series, but we're also offering follow-up workshops featuring some skilled professional life coaches and counselors from within the Broadway Church family. Check out the QR code on your outline or our website for more details on the midweek options. Now, with that said, let's get right into today's topic. Some years ago, an author named Bob Moorhouse wrote an essay called The Paradox of Our Time. Here's just a portion of what he wrote. He said, we've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. What a fascinating set of insights. I especially like those last two lines. He said, we've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. Of all the challenges this world presents to us, the greatest challenge is ourselves. The greatest challenge is the one that's facing us in the mirror every day. And when I say facing us in the mirror, I'm not so much talking about what we see as I am talking about who we see. 
I'm not talking about the outer space in our lives. I'm talking about the inner space in our lives. I'm not talking about the state of our hair. I am talking about the state of our hearts. Now, the last two years have placed a stress upon everyone. We're all feeling it, aren't we? The last two years have strained lives, and the last two years have strained relationships to the point of breaking. I mean, the events of our last two years have divided people politically and with the pandemic. There's all sorts of things that we have to disagree with each other about. And I've seen individuals, relationships, families, churches divided and destroyed. So how should a person respond to a crisis like this? I mean, how can a person turn the obstacle of relationship stress into an opportunity for relationship growth? This is where the little New Testament book known as James becomes incredibly relevant. Now, James was a brother of Jesus, and James was a leader in the first century church. 2,000 years ago, James wrote a letter, and we have a copy of that letter in our Bibles today. It was written to a stressed out, scattered, oppressed group of Jewish followers of Jesus who were just barely clinging to their faith. And James' advice to them back then speaks with amazing clarity to us today. Now, there's a tiny snippet of advice from James that we're going to focus upon for three weeks. It's a simple but profound declaration that he makes in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Now, essentially, James is answering the question, so what's the best way to respond in a relationship when the pressure's on, when the stress is building, when you feel like you're losing it? We're going to pay very careful attention to how James answers that question. Look what he says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. So he says, pay attention. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, this passage appears simple, but putting it into practice is a daily challenge. And for the next three weeks, we're going to dive deep into these words and apply them to our lives and our relationships, all with the goal of building a better you. Now, we're beginning today by zeroing in on the phrase, everyone should be slow to speak. When James wrote this, he, he didn't really write so much chronologically. We can pick and choose the order we attach them or the order that we address them. And we're starting with that phrase, be slow to speak. Actually, I encourage you to underline that phrase in the passage on your outline or in your Bible. Everyone should be slow to speak. So why? Why should we be slow to speak? I mean, what does that even mean? Is James saying that we should speak like this? When you read the phrase in context, James is not recommending that we speak slowly. James is recommending that we speak less. When you look at the full context, James is recommending that a key to maintaining relationship health under stress is to listen more, talk less, and restrain your anger. So how does being slow to speak contribute to relational health? What has James seen and experienced that he's trying to correct or trying to avoid? A little bit later in James' letter, he goes on what I'll call a bit of a rant when it comes to the words that we say to one another and the potential for destruction in those words. Listen to what he says. 
He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James seems to be implying here that the content of our words can reveal the state of our soul. Keep reading. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Well, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. James goes on to say, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I can't help but think that there has got to be a story behind this rant. There has got to be a history behind this insight. I can't help but think that James has personally seen the destructive power of the spoken word. I can't help but think that James has personally tasted the poison of the untamed tongue. Maybe he was remembering someone else's acidic comments. Maybe he was regretting some careless comments of his own. When was the last time you actually listened to yourself speak? Of course, I speak for a living, and so uh, I get to listen to myself all the time, and that can be a painful process. Listen, I remember the very first time I heard myself speak. I heard a recording of myself. It was terrible. I mean, I heard all my habits and idiosyncrasies, and I didn't like what I was hearing. I thought, oh my goodness, is this is what people hear when they listen to me? Why do they come back the next week? How do you sound to the people around you? Under stress, how do you treat the people in your relationship orbit? What kind of words tend to roll off your tongue when times get tough? Words can come easy when life comes easy, but what tends to bubble up from within you and spread to those around you when your heart is in turmoil? James is telling us that we need to think about these things. He's telling us that we need to pay attention to how we communicate in the relationships in our lives. And James is telling us that one way we can ensure we're healthy in our communication is to be slow to speak. Okay, so practically speaking, how would being slow to speak help us to be better and more healthy communicators? How would being slow to speak improve our relationships? Well, I can think of two ways. First of all, being slow to speak should decrease the damage produced by careless words. It should decrease the damage produced by careless words. Okay, listen, you're angry at someone and you wanna lash out. You wanna give that person a piece of your mind. So what should you do? A common bit of advice that's been passed down for generations is this. I'm sure you've heard this. When you want to lash out, what you do is you sit down and you write that person a letter. Put down on paper or type into your computer everything that you're thinking, everything that you're feeling, and then sign it. Seal it or save it, but do not send it. Sleep on it. Put it in a file or on a shelf and revisit it in a few days maybe. You will likely be amazed at how glad you're going to be that you did not post that letter or hit send on that email. You will likely discover that with distance comes perspective. Why is this true? 
It's true because it's a universal experience that generally speaking, our first response is rarely our best response. Listen, I've been writing sermons for decades. You need to know what you're hearing me say right now is not the first draft. This has taken many drafts, and I've labbed it in front of 10, 15 people on our staff who've critiqued it, and then I rewrote it again. When you hear a sermon, rarely are you hearing the first draft. It's the same with speech writers for any politician or, or anyone who's standing in front of a, a crowd of people. You're not hearing the first draft of that speech. It's the same with songs and songwriters. You need to know that the song that you hear recorded was not the first draft. There were many drafts, I'm sure, several drafts. For example, there's a famous saying, if life hands you lemons, make lemonade. Few people know that the first draft of that phrase was, if life hands you lemons, make some kind of fruity juice. Do you see someone who speaks in haste, the Bible says, there's more hope for a fool than for them. By the way, this is the danger of social media today. This is what makes media like Facebook and Twitter or Instagram so toxic. I mean, it's a realm of instant feedback. I'm convinced if James was around today, I'm certain he would say, be slow to type, be slow to text, be slow to tweet. Now, I can only speak for myself, but about three years ago, I shut down all of my social media platforms and it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Now, admittedly, I can no longer see what everyone had for lunch yesterday or know what everyone is feeling or thinking about every situation in life, but that's a price that I'm willing to pay for the peace of mind that it has brought me. Have you ever typed or texted or tweeted something that you regret? It was spontaneous. You got triggered. You bit on the bait and you got dragged into the mud. And now you wish you'd kept your mouth shut and your fingers still. That's the whole reality of cancel culture today. People are discovering that old tweets, old quotes, old online posts are coming back to haunt them. Listen, when you put something online today, it's there forever. Oh, you can delete it, but it lives on in cyberspace. And what's true of the typed word is just as true of the spoken word. When you speak a word to someone, when you release a thought and send it towards them as a sound wave, it doesn't end at their eardrums. It sinks into their brain and soaks into their soul. Last year, I engaged in a ministry here at Broadway Church known as the Genesis Process. The Genesis Process is a ministry dedicated to helping people get unstuck in their lives. It was while going through the Genesis Process that I discovered something fascinating. I discovered that I was still being affected by words that I heard in my childhood. I discovered that I was still being haunted by words that I had been carrying for decades. The Bible says the tongue has the power of life and death. Practically speaking, how would being slow to speak improve our relationships? Well, I'm suggesting that I can think of two ways. First of all, as we've just learned, being slow to speak should decrease the damage produced by careless words. This is true because generally speaking, our first response is rarely our best response. But there's another way I think being slow to speak will improve our relationships. Being slow to speak should not only decrease the damage produced by careless words, but being slow to speak should also increase the quality produced by thoughtful words. Now, when I was a child, 
I used to spend hours in my friend's basement making model cars and model airplanes. So we would, you know, get the kit and we'd break the pieces off and, and put them together and then I'd glue them. But here's the thing. Before the glue was dry, I would then try painting it. And before the paint was dry, I'd be putting the decals on them, their decals, depending on how you pronounce it. And so I would ruin my model because I wouldn't wait for it to dry. I learned the hard way that rush leads to ruin. I learned the hard way that patience is a key to excellence. And that is what James is saying when it comes to the words that we speak. Being slow to speak should increase the quality produced by thoughtful words. Why is this true? This is true because slowing down our response time means ramping up our reflection time. You see, when I hold my tongue, when I intentionally decide to be slow to speak, I'm doing more than just being silent. When we slow down our response time, when we pause before we speak to others, we're making time for God to speak to us. And when we do that, we're increasing the opportunity for us to speak words of life instead of words of death. Now, scripture writers have been saying for centuries that we have to be careful with our words. The writer of the Old Testament book known as Ecclesiastes wrote this. He said, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You're on earth. So let your words be few. Now, the immediate context of this passage is dealing with those who make rash promises and utter insincere vows. The Apostle Paul made this observation regarding how to respond to people when you're in the spotlight and under pressure. He said, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So when you put these two passages together, the Old and New Testament passages, you get a good picture of reality. Every word you speak is spoken in the presence of God. God's present. He's listening. But he's not only present to listen, he's present to equip. He's present to fill your mind with his grace. So don't be in a hurry to respond to a question or remark about a situation. Pause. Access his presence. And let your response be godly, gracious, and wise. Being slow to speak should increase the quality produced by thoughtful words. Because slowing down our response time means ramping up our reflection time. And this brings us to today's big idea where we summarize the teaching in one phrase. Here it is. Decreasing the quantity of your words goes a long way towards increasing the quality of your words. Decreasing the quantity goes a long way to increasing the quality. Intentionally pausing before speaking makes room for God in your relationships. Intentionally pausing before speaking not only makes room for God to protect you from uttering harmful words, but it also makes room for God to inject you with helpful words. Do you want to know how to improve the quality of your relationships? Be slow to speak. Because words matter. Words have the power of life and death. Decreasing the quantity of your words goes a long way towards increasing the quality of your words. Now this week, at both of our campuses, we're going to go even deeper into this topic of being slow to speak on this whole area of healthy communication. 
Ross Allen is a professional consultant and coach. He's a member of our board here at Broadway. And he's going to provide us with some free practical tools when it comes to communicating with others in a healthy way. Check out the QR code on your outline or on the screen right now, or visit our website for more details. How do you communicate under pressure? What kind of words come out of your mouth when life isn't going as planned? Today, James has given us some solid, practical advice. Be slow to speak. Instead of pouncing, try praying. Give yourself time to guard your heart and give God time to tame your tongue. Doing so will turn a potentially harmful exchange into powerfully helpful exchange. Now, I can speak from experience in this matter. Many years ago, in fact, it was my first month in full-time ministry, I was preaching one of my first sermons on a Sunday evening. And during the sermon, I told a joke about my wife, my new new wife at that time. We had just become married, Jan and I. And I told a joke about her cooking. And about a, oh, three or four days later, the pastor that I was working under, a mentor in my life, Bob Argue, we were about to go out for lunch together two or three days later. And I'll never forget, I could take you to the very place where we were standing in the lobby of that church, leaning against the front door. We were about to go out the front door and he paused and he turned to me and he said, dear heart, that's what he used to call me. He said, dear heart, Darren, he said, I need to say something to you. And he had tears in his eyes when he said this. He said, you, you preached Sunday night. He said, you did well. It was a good job, son. Well done. He said, but you told a joke about your wife's cooking. He said, it was a funny joke, guaranteed laugh. He said, but don't ever belittle your wife in a sermon. Don't ever belittle your wife in front of a congregation like that. He says, you need to always build her up. I never forgot that. He was sitting on that. He thought it immediately when I preached that sermon. He could have come up to me right afterwards, but he didn't. He sat on it. He was slow to speak. He let it work over in his heart, and he presented it in a way that it came as a, an expression of love to me. Now, it may very well be that as you sit there, God has brought to your mind an instance where you were quick to criticize, where your words sliced and diced someone. Did you know that it's never too late to apologize? Just a couple weeks ago, I had a phone conversation with a 90-year-old woman. The last time I had spoken with this individual was nearly 30 years ago. And in that conversation 30 years ago, she had said some things to me that were very pointed and very painful. Now, we had not spoken for 30 years. A couple of weeks ago, we found ourselves having to speak together uh, again for the first time. And as we concluded our polite conversation, that 90-year-old woman said this to me. She said, Darren, I need to apologize to you. 30 years ago, I said some unkind words to you that I have always regretted. I want to tell you how sorry I am for what I said. With those words, my heart melted. Have you spoken rash words to someone? Has God brought to your mind a moment when you should have been slow to speak? It is never too late to offer healing, and it's never too late to receive healing as well. Let's pray together to receive that healing. God, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, the one who died, who rose from the dead, the one who sent his spirit to live in our midst, to strengthen us, to cleanse us, to forgive us, to heal us. God, as you bring to our minds instances where maybe we've been rash or harsh, 
direct our hearts. Give us the wisdom and the humility to confess our sins, to acknowledge our sins, and repent of our sins, and maybe, if possible, address the damage done by our sins through our words that we've spoken. Father, we ask you to come into our hearts and strengthen us, heal us, renew us, help us to be men and women who are slow to speak, men and women who listen to you and, and speak words of grace, words that are seasoned with salt, words that build others up, not tear them down. May we be sources of life, not death, hope, not hurt in the world around us. Maybe you're watching today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity right now to make a decision to accept the words of truth that he has spoken into your life. Jesus himself said these words. He said, speaking of the Father, God the Father so loved the world that he gave, speaking of himself, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in that Son would not perish, but would have eternal life. Those are the words Jesus spoke, and he's speaking about you. He loves you so much that he died in your place to cleanse you of your sin, to pay your moral debt, and to release you from the bondage and the pain and the judgment of your past, to dwell within you in the present and to direct your life in the future. If you'd like to accept his gift of eternal life, pray this with me right now. God, I acknowledge my sin. I have not been a perfect person. I have fallen short of your design for my life. I ask you to come into my life, forgive me, cleanse me, fill me with your spirit, give me new hope and new life from this moment forward. And give me the courage to tell somebody about this decision immediately. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, there's a number on the screen right now. It's a text number. Simply text that number and someone will be on the other end to help you take the next step in your journey. Now, don't worry, we're not trying to trick you. You're not gonna be put on a mailing list. We simply wanna help you as you journey towards Christ-centered living. Thank you for being with us at Broadway Church today. I hope you'll continue in this series of Better You, and maybe we'll even see you this week at one of our workshops. Check out our website or the QR code and join us for some further equipping on healthy communication skills. God bless you. Thank you for being with us at Broadway Church today.